On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Let's talk to somebody about uh, an issue actually that rose on the show a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about World Autism Day and some of the ways in which society is built or rather not built uh, to deal with people with disabilities. Uh, my guest, Phil Quinlan, uh, was playing under 15 soccer uh, as a very young promising sportsman. Um, could have perhaps, if, if his life had gone differently, played senior international football for Ireland or senior international rugby for Ireland. Could have represented Ireland in track and field at the Olympics. Uh, were it not for something that happened when he was playing uh, under 15 soccer. Phil, thanks for joining us uh, on the programme. Tell us what happened when you end up for a header. Yeah, well, it was uh, it was an immensely foggy day, which probably didn't help in the start. And uh, we we togged out pitch side after walking across a couple of fields to get to the pitch. And uh, I played for a while, and everyone, all you could hear was shouting and screaming. You couldn't see any ball. You couldn't see any other players, bar the guys that were right next to you. And I suppose half an hour into the game, a ball came head height. I tried to head it, and or even flick it on, and uh, the centre half for Toro clashed with my the side of my head, and uh, I immediately felt felt a bit of pain, but I I tried to play on. The ref stopped the game for a couple of seconds to ask me the Maddox questions. You know, where, mm. where are we playing? What was the score? What day was it? And I answered all them perfectly. Yeah, and, and, and that's what's remarkable about it. And sorry to interrupt you, because you, you have this passage in the book and, and the referee says, you're all right, son. And you say, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Uh, do you know where you are? I do, of course. I'm in Kilberry. Uh, what day is it? Sunday. How many fingers am I holding up? Three. Okay, you're grand. Uh, and it was as simple as that, because you were clearly sort of competent and you still had your wits about you. And you thought, just a, just, just a bang in the side of the head. That, that'd be fine. Well, uh, and that, was you, maybe, that was maybe the HIA of the time. Yeah. And uh, it, it surely it shows these days that maybe it's not as as fit for purpose as as it could be. Mm. Thirty three years later, um, but no, I, I played on for a while, and then after about a few minutes, I started to feel groggy. I started to get double vision, seeing stars, and uh, then the, the shouting came. A ball came to me, and it I turned to, to get the ball, and next thing, the ball disappeared. But the world kept turning, and this was when it started to get scary. I started to feel very tired, so I was I was placed in the little tin shed of a dugout to fall asleep and to relax, mm. which is obviously it's the wrong thing to do now. But back yeah. then, back in those days, concussion probably hadn't been invented yet. And uh, I fell asleep. I just wanted to fall asleep because that was when the, the pain was was less. Mm. Uh, the throbbing in my head uh, meant that a little trickle of blood came through my ear, and that's when I think alarm bells. Uh, started to ring. That was the the red flag, I presume. Mm. And then um, after after you were you were eventually rushed to hospital, and they did all the various scans and whatnot. What did they find had happened? Well, in Navan, they didn't really know what had happened because they didn't have a CT scanner there at the time. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so they'd wait for an ambulance to come on stream and a nurse to demand the ambulance, and off we went. And as I approached Beaumont Hospital, the Brain uh, Hospital. I started to get worse and worse. I started having mini seizures and the nurse started to panic a bit. But as we arrived in Beaumont, I arrested and uh, thankfully there was a team of, uh, to, to resuscitate me there. They brought me into the CT scanner, which proved, which showed a, a large blood clot, which was growing. So I think it was a two or three hour operation to get rid of that. Mm. And I'm not sure whether he knew he used his Black & Decker or his milfisk to hoover out the, the, the hematoma. But uh, 
I spent the next 10 days in a coma then. Mam was told the following morning I had a 25% chance of living. God, it must be some ball from the blue if you've got a very active kid who's going out and just playing an under-15 soccer match and just has an innocuous bang on the side of the head and you're told that there's a three and four chance that he's going to die. I never realised until I had my own kids, Gavin, what I put my parents through. And that's, like, I can never forget them for for what they did for me. Mam stayed three and a half months every day uh, getting lifts up to Bowman Hospital to sit with me for the whole day. And then she had to go home and give another 100% to her my three remaining siblings, you know. Mm. So I just, I, I could never thank them for that. What I put them through, even in the aftermath of three months later, waking up uh, very, very gradually, realising that my right side was totally paralysed. But there was, a, there was a huge hope in my own head, I suppose, that naivety of youth, when the surgeons came in and told ma'am, two years. That's all I could hear was the two years. But I suppose in in brackets they had and then we reassess mm. so every brain injury is different mine was obviously I, I presume because I put all the prehab in before I got injured it meant I came out an awful lot better but uh, it just it, it was hard when I started to realise okay the two years was just it was wasn't really an accurate date or an accurate timeline because 33 years later I'm still disabled, and uh, it was it was probably back in the early nineties. It was it was tough to know exactly how a, a, a client would would fare out. Yeah, yeah, and, and and medical science and sports science was very different then, so you maybe wouldn't have had the same level of rigor or same level of insight as to to what might follow. And, and it helps that people have now gone through similar paths that maybe you might have a better insight now as to, to what people might have expected at the time. So talk to me about exactly what physical abilities you have now and how much of a struggle it was to get them back. Okay, well, uh, I suppose getting back to school, back into St. Pat's was immense. That was my my physio at the time. Mm. And only looking back now, I can realise it, it did me the power of good, having to go through the, the corridors every 40 minutes to change classrooms and walk through the jungle that, that was teenage boys at the yeah. time trying to knock me over and slag me off and uh, when you're 15, 16 you don't need anything different Yeah, but this was absolutely huge Was that a thing that happened to you that you, people in the corridors and paths knew that you were still walking with a bit of a limp or maybe with a crutch and that they'd they try to do their best to trip you up for a bit of a giggle? Absolutely yeah, well, that's teenage boys, you know teenagers are like that I would have been the same myself if, if it was anybody else, mm. you know I'm not going to pretend that I I mean, I'm perfect that way. But no, all teenage boys do that for, for the laugh and for the, you know, but it, I think it stood to me, pardon the pun, and uh, it made me a lot more resilient for what was to come next. Mm. What uh, did come next? I, well, my, my drug at the time was travel. So I just, I immersed myself into that. So any bit of money I, I earned, I put it into the bank account, the credit union for travel. And I just, I touted myself all around the world, working in, especially summer camp in the States. Uh, before that, I was in France working for L'Arche in their disabled community. I suppose I was drawn towards that sort of work at the time, but never thinking it would amount to much. And uh, then after that, I hurt my back badly in 2001, so that put, put pay to a lot of my, my travel ambitions. <laughs> God, you haven't had it easy, have you? No, but I don't know, it's, the, the chronic pains will always be there. Mm. I was trying to manage them. And these days, it's it's not walking around Navin. 
it's using my power chair it's uh it's driving i can drive quite competently i hope and uh, that's you become dad's taxi when you've kids yeah like I, I i was never able to to kick a ball with my son and my daughter who are mad into playing football but uh, i can drive them to anywhere they go i can get them uh to wherever they need to go and that's i'm hoping now someday that they'll, they'll appreciate that mm. when they when they get a bit older but uh now it's it's even coaching the, the under nines at park villa is uh, i'm holding on to the, the cages at the MDL for, for dear life because <laughs> my balance is very very poor and I just scream at the young fellas encouragement and little bits of advice and information I don't think they listen much mm. <laughs> but uh, that's just eight year olds for you Well are you a are you a man marking man or are you more of a zonal defence kind of advocate? Well I think when, when you've one child it's, it's sort of man marking but when it gets to two it's, it's whichever child you're closest to really you know <laughs> Try grab onto. I can, I kind of I meant it in a sporting sense, but actually I can see the parallels with parenting now because I've my second almost two years ago, and I, I fully get what you mean. <laughs> that suddenly you're like, listen, I'll just cover this territory, and Mammy will do the other side of the room, and then we'll we'll see how we do uh, yeah, over the course fairness, of the whole thing. In fairness, now Mammy is just she's top class. She's uh, she's from Old Castle. She's a fellow mead person. She's the Gael in the family. I was never much into the Gaelic, but she's mad into the Gaelic, and she. She's brought up the kids absolutely fantastically. She's there for me. She knows me intimately. She knows when I'm in bad form. She knows when I'm in bad form that it is the pain is coming back. So she kicks me up the arse in the old 1980s attitude mm. of, mm. you know, cop yourself on, you know. So uh, I could say in passing that it's probably unusual for someone as a sports mad 15-year-old like you were at the time of your injury to be going through the corridors of Pats and not be a big uh, Gaelic man. But that, that's maybe a conversation for another day. Um, you, you, we mentioned in passing at the start your, your work now in disability services. Was that anything that was ever on your radar or anything you had any motivation towards before you acquired your own brain injury and then started to, to become a patient in that world? Well, I'm not actually sure. No, I think I think as a 15-year-old, you're, you're going to win the World Cup. You're going to win the, the Olympic final. Uh, you don't think about it like that. There was St. Dalton's School was, was very prominent in Navan at the time. Mm. And I would have passed by that quite often. But it never really registered much until I got injured. Then it became a possibility that maybe I'd have to go there at some stage. So I think mom and dad, they had, they, 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 they was their thoughts in their head that, you know, I might have to go there, they might have to move closer into the, the centre of town so I could manoeuvre a bit better, a bit easier. But uh, I think from the, the work in the States and the work in France, uh, in the 90s I did a course I was working in Modus Link in Kildare Town and I did a, a course I think I paid 2,000 euro to the Midland School of Child Care to do SNA courses and it was only ever a hobby to be honest mm. I parked that and then I just by chance I, I stumbled across my my old fourth class teacher who was principal of St Paul's at the time and she ushered me up to St Mary's Special School where I met with the principal and he adored my stories so uh, I got the, the interview then and I got called for, for the job and the main school is, is just a fantastic place to be but I didn't realise that the best place for me was the special care unit which is about a kilometre and a half away it's a nursing unit for kids with severe and profound disabilities and I can just get down and dirty with them mm. and get into their ears and make them laugh make them you know that's that's the main purpose of my job make yeah. sure they're safe and happy and 
if you can get them laughing, it's it's fantastic, you know. Sure. Uh, to bring us back to where we started, Phil, because I'm conscious we've we've kept you for for long enough, so I'll let you go just after this. Um, the 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 theme that struck you from what we were talking about in the program a couple of weeks ago, and from from your own world is, and this is both your professional experience and your personal life experience, is that when you're dealing with a disability, it's not so much about what the disability changes in you so much as how life is just made much more difficult for you because society isn't built to deal with people like you. Well, I'm not even sure if worldwide society is different from from Irish society. Mm. But when I travelled abroad, my disability didn't seem to be an issue. If people just ask straight out, what happened to your leg? And I tell them, oh, right, that's it. But in Ireland, they sort of, they flitter around it. You know, the, 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 the old adage of don't stare. Oh, no, don't stare. You, you'll hurt them. Mm. And I just think education is, is definitely the way forward. I think educating the youth, because the, the generation, our generation is maybe past it. We're prehistoric. Or maybe, I know you've got a few years on me. Mm. But uh, <laughs> I think, I think I'm of a different generation where people my age and older, I don't think we can be changed. Unless, like, it's sad to say that unless you're affected by somebody close with a disability, it doesn't really bother you. Yeah. And I think when I when I brought my power chair into my son's class last year, and one of his friends screamed out, "Oh look, he's brought his Batmobile with him!" <laughs> and the kids burst out laughing. I burst out laughing. It was brilliant. The teacher was mortified. But that's the way it has to be, you know. Kids have to teach the adults. Mm. Daddy, you're parked in a disabled parking spot. Why are you parked there? Oh, embarrass the parents into that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I just think a lot could be a lot could be done an awful lot better mm. for, for kids, especially at the very start. When you learn you have a kid with a disability, right. It's it's very hard to come to terms with that, I'd imagine. So you don't need the extra crap, if you like. I'm sorry, you probably bleeped that out. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. It's the crap that goes with it. <laughs> You know, like having to find schools and that school is too far away. You have to put the child on a bus and it's just, it could be done an awful lot better and a lot, lot more empathy could be thrown yeah. at it. And there's the whole parallel thing, which I won't get into because if I start, I'll be here all day with this whole parallel thing. Of, well, if, if you maybe consider moving house because then you want to move closer to the school that the yeah. child might end up going to, do you end up then, as you mentioned at the start, the CDNT system, do you end up in the care of a different CDNT and how do you move from one to the other if you're not getting services with one and do you well, go to like the back of the queue with another? It's, it's, it's like a whole thing. again every time. Yeah, it's a whole, whole thing. Uh, come here, like I said, I, I won't get into it because I genuinely will be here all day and you've been very generous enough uh, with your time already. Uh, the book is called Anna Bang on the Ear, Reclaiming My Life After a Brain Injury. Uh, help, written with the help of, of Steve O'Rourke, who is uh, a wonderful former sports journalist, formerly of the 42.ie, uh, and its author is Phil Quinlan. Phil, thanks so much for telling us your story and for joining us today on The Record. Gavin, thanks a million. Have a good day. On The Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.